Have you ever wanted to build a better home? A home that lasts longer. A home that is more energy efficient. A home that is healthier to live in. We aim to give you the knowledge to build a better home or turn your current home into a greener one. Today we talk with Chief Design Manager Blaise Pascal and our green expert and business-to-business development agent Ashley Bland, who you were introduced to last week, about basic design principles and how we implement our compliant green theory into your home. Ash, Blaze, welcome to the Green Home Living podcast. I'd love to hear how both of you came to join the Green Homes group. Yeah, so I joined Green Homes about two years ago. Uh, joining Green Homes has allowed me to continue my interest in environmental sustainable design. Uh, this interest really began when I was at university. Uh, the uni that I attended had a strong emphasis on ESD, which actually led to me in my final year doing a thesis uh, which was an assessment of a small coastal town's target to become carbon neutral. Um, so, yeah, I'm really happy to be able to be part of Green Homes and continue the interest that I have in ESD. And now, look, I know, Ash, we had a bit of an introduction to you last in last week's episode, but we'd love to hear it from the horse's mouth and how you came to be a part of the Green Homes group. Yeah, thanks, mate. Well, funnily enough, I can't remember the first time I met Mick Fabar, but um, there is evidence in the public record in a newspaper clipping of us standing together at a worksite in, in 2006. Um, and I've not long moved back to Australia. I've always been interested in environmental issues. I trained as both a, an engineer and ecologist, sort of a combined degree. And, um, and so when I hit Australia and was working in the field, I was soon involved in the community here and a project to build a, an energy efficient commercial building. And, um, you know, one of the things you learn if you've got your eyes half open looking around is that we build in Australia particularly stupid houses <laughs> compared to what you can see overseas. And we kind of build the same houses everywhere, uh, regardless of what the climate is. And, and I think at the time I must have been on my, my high horse about changing the uh, construction industry and, and then looking at applying the, the principles that I'd learned in a commercial building. And, um, and Mick had the same sort of passion. So, you know, we did lots of stuff before Green Homes was born, as, as fate would have it. We looked at the principles and we researched what the principles of green design were. And um, we tried programs. We worked with the major banks. We invented tools. We went through quite a lot of iterations, as you do. You know, it's a fairly typical kind of business formation process where you try a few things and you don't let your, your failures knock you back. In fact, you, you build on them and you use them for strength. And, and uh, next thing, we'd sort of come up with the, the script, if you like, for what became the ebook. And, um, and Mick then worked out that actually, you know, the demand from other builders was so strong that, that, that a franchise model would be good for, for building the business. And, um, and really, we just stayed together informally. I was working for another company at the time, but uh, we stayed together informally over the years where I've delivered training and, uh, I guess, advisory services over that time. And then more recently, now that I've started my own company, we work very closely together. Um, all the time, we're 
the point, as you say, where a major part of my role is to assist and particularly working closely with Blaze uh, in making sure that the Green Homes brand delivers on the promise. You know, they're making sure that we do deliver the best Green Homes to, um, to everyone, essentially. So there's a bit of a snapshot for you. Absolutely. It goes a little bit better than the uh, professionally written LinkedIn bio that I had to read off of. <laughs> well, that's how it should. You know, this is the interactive version of this podcast. Yeah. That's it. And I guess for anybody listening and wondering why we sound a little bit grainy, we are actually practicing as a, an entire company social isolation. So we're all in our remote offices working as hard as ever. But that's why our audio might be a little bit different. But guys, look, today I really wanted to sit down and talk to you following on from last week's episode about the Green Homes design process. What does it involve? Why is it different, especially? That's a really big point as to why I want to jump into it. Why does it differ from every other builder? Yeah, I guess one of the main differences and and what I'm involved in is the whole de- the design process and, and how that um, happens. Like... Um, so yeah, we usually the start um, first meeting with the client um, is an opportunity to get to know them, um, which we do through a design meeting, and and we complete a design brief uh, during that time with the client to gather information about what their dream home looks like and and some of those features, and then that's followed on by myself and other designers uh, creating a concept from that, and then that that concept is then assessed by our own uh, home design review report, which isn't something you come across in a lot of other companies building houses, and it's at that point where we assess the, the um, concept and look at ways where we could improve the energy efficiency of the home and, and how it is the design is already performing well. And then at that point, the concept is amended and given back to the client, yeah, to um, assess and to look over. So what's involved in that home design report, Blaise? So it involves, yeah, a, a range of ways that the house can be improved and but based on the climate that that house is located in. Um, so each house will vary depending on the climate that it's in. So you will be looking at things like the, the um, windows, the insulation, um, most importantly, yeah, the orientation of a home, looking at shading, uh, just to name a couple of areas that are included in the report. So Ash, how much involvement does Constructive Energy have in the home design report, if at all? And what are the steps it takes to make sure that that report is both independent and to the highest quality? Well, that's a great question. So the steps, dealing with the steps first, um, I mean, Blaze is right. It's an, it's an interesting process designing a home and and very often involves compromise. So on the one hand, you can have all this fabulous theory about mm. um, you know energy efficiency, but on the other hand, you've actually got to deliver a house that works for those clients on that specific site within that specific budget. So um, that means 
you've got to talk that through. You know, and I mentioned before that we that we worked together with Nick years ago, and part of what we did was build a um, a piece of software which allowed a client to go through a process. They could answer a heap of questions online, and it would it would do a commentary and it would spit out a, a home rating as as a part of this app. Where it fell down was you actually need a human at the front of it. Though you can yep. run algorithms to a certain extent of this stuff, but you actually need a human that understands the principles and how they apply and can make value judgments as part of that as well. Um, particularly when it comes to the layout of the home, which is oh so critical. Um, you know, they, as they say, you know, to put it crudely, you can't polish a turd. So no matter what you try and do around energy efficiency, if the orientation and the layout is bad then it just won't work as a home. So you've really got to avoid that, which is why you need that, that discussion to occur between the builder, uh, Blaze, and the, des the design team and the client. And that has to be a three-way thing. Where I think uh, constructive energy adds value is bringing some independence and analysis to that, and, and dare I say, some physics. So, you know, we produce a report which says, well, here are the climate zones. Here are the fundamental principles by which you should design. And essentially, it allows the builder and the designer and the client to then have an informed discussion. So for the client, it's not like, why is this builder not telling me I can put the bathroom there? Or why, is it, why isn't the designer letting me do this? Mm. It's like, no, no, no. Here is a reason why that you should work within these particular constraints. Um, and of course, there's, there's, you know, it's a, it's a matter of integrity for me and my company that we do the best thing by the, the, the physics and the, the home design. Now, I recognise that that gets compromised to some extent because clients will say things like, no, 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 the garage has to go there because council says that's what it needs to do to face the street or whatever that compromise is. But at least it's a piece of hard evidence and hard data that says this is these are the rules of the game, if you like. If you're concerned about energy efficiency and sustainability and all of those, these are the rules of the game. These are the things you should consider. And and I think, well, well the results speak for themselves, really. Like when you put that process together um, between mm. Blaze and myself and the builder and the client, you do end up with a superior home. So I guess, Blaze, I'll go to you first. Throughout your career here with Green Homes, what have been some major points of discussion with you and clients around their preconceived notions of energy efficiency and um, what makes a sustainable home and those times where you've had to step in and point out that maybe that idea isn't so efficient and those ideas from my experience are often promoted quite regularly in the wider community yeah um I think one of the biggest like misconceptions people have is that it has to be expensive mm. and it's and it, there's a large figure attached to building a, a, a green home. I really yeah don't agree with that. One of the best things that you can do is orientate your house correctly. It's such a fundamental part of the process that if you get that right at the start, you'll experience those benefits. And, and it's not an expensive thing to do. Like you can go all out with double glazing and mass amounts of insulation and, and that sort of thing. I think if you get the orientation right at the start, you're not 
having to cut corners further down the track and and try to yeah try to mitigate some of those de- um, defects that are in the design. Yeah, you're exactly right, Blaze. And and I've, sometimes we find, don't we, when we go through these plans that um, the client just doesn't understand. They want particular a shade structure on the north for example because they think that'll be nice to sit out there and have a cup of tea and we have to go through a process where we go well you you know that you're compromising for that you can't have a passive solar design if you shade out the northern windows so you know so then we have discussions don't we about well what's the alternative could we put a pergola there or or actually would that outdoor area be better around on the eastern side for example Um, but yeah you see people just don't know this stuff so I guess I'll just jump in really quickly, guys. Ash, you just mentioned, you know, putting pergolas up. So these principles apply to existing homes as well. So if I wanted to do an extension, there are some of these principles that I can implement in such an extension. And I guess from your perspectives, both Blaze and Ash, what are some examples of that? Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, I mean, you can you can really work on an existing home to improve it and apply those same principles. And, and in fact, in some ways, um, you can take advantage of things like thermal mass. If you are expanding an existing home, you don't actually have to knock down the brick walls. You can actually build around them and that can be useful at conditioning the space in the right climate and the right circumstances. But look, the, the, the principles apply everywhere. And uh, you know, it just, again, it would just be making informed choices saying, well, you want an extra area, but which side of the house can you go on? Okay, you can only go to the south. Well, what can we do to bring sunlight into something that you do on the south? Or how do we have to extra insulate it? Or we can't do that. So how do we bring active heating and cooling efficient systems to it? Um, those sorts of decisions can be made uh, for any any scale of development. Yeah, like, um, yeah, there, there are some... Yeah, general principles that can really apply um, even in existing houses, which it simply could be just reconsidering the use of the space within the house, maybe reprogramming some of the rooms that are more appropriate living spaces on, on the north side of, of a home. Yeah, there's definitely um, ability for those uh, principles to be seen through in pre- existing houses. So, Blaze, that just brings me straight into my next question. What rooms should be at the front of the house and the back of the house? I know there's a lot of confusion around that and you see in a lot of homes, let's put the bedrooms at the front of the house so it can capture the beautiful sunset in the morning and we can wake up and look out the window. But as we all know, you generally sleep with the blinds shut. So where are some of those mistakes and how do we counteract those? So, yeah, in climates where you want to make the most of solar passive design, ideally you want the spaces that you're living in the most, so your living areas, lounge rooms areas, you want you want that on the northern side of the house so that you can really optimise and, and make the most of that northern sun during the day. Ideally, you, you, then you want your um, your bedrooms and utilities on your south side, where you're not um, using those spaces throughout the day, and and um, and where it yeah, it's not it's not important to have that solar gain in those rooms. Yeah, um, and Blaze is right. It depends on the climate zone. So, uh, if you're in some of the northern or northern or warmer climates, that passive uh, solar heating in winter is less of an issue. And in fact, you're trying to keep 
the house cool and you want you want passive cooling principles which is very often driven by the breezes so the same principles apply in that you know the parts of the house that you spend the most time in awake time and active time you want those to be automatically comfortable you want the, you want nature to heat or cool that space for free so again and this is where the home design review report comes in it's like well what are those principles and and what are those local conditions so you know, Blaze and I recently designed a home um, where, uh, well, I should say Blaze, sorry, Blaze designed <laughs> the home. I gave some useful commentary to improve it. And um, and one of the things we had to look at there was where the dominant cooling breezes were. So we look at, well, what's the most uncomfortable time of the day? You know, the kids are home from school perhaps and, uh, you know, the, what you, you're trying to cook dinner and, and it's hot, it's been a hot day. Um that's the place, that's the place that you want to be taking advantage of a cooling breeze, for example. So let's design the home so that those doors can be open and the, the hot air from the day can be vented and the beautiful coastal breeze can come in. You know, similarly in a colder climate, it's exactly the same. You know, the kids are home from school. You've walked in. It's a, been a big day. You walk into your home. You want it to be automatically warm. You don't want to walk in. You've dropped your gumboots off at the, and you walk in going, crikey, it's cold in here and you're running for the switch and the jumper or you've had to get on the phone and tell your house to warm up at two o'clock because, you know, if you don't do that and you get home for, with the kids from school, the house is freezing. So, you know, you apply the principle to say, how much can I make this home comfortable using what nature is doing every day? In other words, the sun's shining and the wind's blowing. How do I use that to do as much as I can for free? What is a way that you can capture that breeze in designing a home? Well, you really need to you you need to imagine that the the wall of the house that's facing that breeze is like a sail, you know, and and so you can use the sail and you can use the garden, vegetation, wing walls, structures, the building next door. You use those in order to funnel that breeze. And it's interesting, you know, a, a very gentle breeze, even air moving at as low as sort of half a meter per second, which is a very gentle breeze, that will make humans feel about three degrees cooler than it actually is mm. so you know if you get that you can have a house that's at 25 degrees but with that gentle breeze it actually feels like about 22 you know, which is which is cool that's that's very comfortable so you know if you're funneling the breeze to make even a gentle breeze a little bit more vigorous in the house then you automatically feel cooler um, it's also choosing the types of windows. So you choose windows that have maximum opening areas or the ability to open a lot rather than perhaps what might be on trend. You know, awning windows are good in certain circumstances, but not in others because they don't allow as much airflow as perhaps a casement style window. So, um, you know, that's an example of the sorts of choices that, that you'd make. When designing a green home, and this is a bit of a, a question leading into our next point of discussion, which is the highest rated homes being constructed in Australia at the moment. What are some of the core pieces of the home do you both see as being an important part of a, a green home? Yeah, it, it really depends on the location of, of a house and the climate that it's in. So the Natter's assessment, it, it'll give a star rating um, based on the energy efficiency of a house and that's that's based on the climate data for that location so so there's an yeah 
a number of things that have to be considered in, in, in that um, assessment. As we've established, you really need to find out what are the fundamentals about the climate zone that you live in. Australia has been des- divided up into um, seven or eight primary climate zones, but there are actually many more. The CSIRO uh, um, has many more climate zones. So within that particular zone, there will be um, historical data sets that say how hot and cold and windy and dry and sunny it's been. The only way you can work, or there's a hierarchy within which you, you can respond to those conditions, those climate conditions, and it starts with orientation. Um, the next best thing you can do is make sure a place is very well insulated. The next best thing you can do is get your ratios of thermal mass correct, noting that in, in humid climates you probably don't need any. The next best thing you can do is looking at your uh, glazing and making sure that's right, particularly in terms of your shading, that becomes critical. The next best thing is to start to look at your wall types and your window types. and You sort of get this idea that there's a cascading uh, set of principles that you need to apply in your design. And it's the old 80-20 rule. Like if you get your orientation, um, your insulation, your thermal mass right, uh, you know, and in, implicit in that is your glazing and your shading plan, that's 80% of your job done, you know, just by getting those things right. Then what you can play with is uh, is some of the more, um, you know, the icing on the on the cake, if you like, which is things like making sure you've got energy efficient lighting and devices inside the home, that kind of stuff. So guys, obviously Green Homes has two of the most energy efficient homes in Australia under construction at the moment, one in Perth, which has received an 8.5 star rating and one on the Gold Coast with an 8.2 star rating. I was wondering if you could walk us through how we came to earn that star rating on those homes and just run us through some of the, the energy efficient design features of that home. It's funny because when you say Perth, you know, I'm sure a lot of us think of backyard cricket and hot summers and all that, which is true. But when you look at the data and you actually should make decisions based on data, not what you reckon, um, then you find that Jandicott, you know, which is the closest sort of Bureau of Meteorology station to where this home was built. It's actually in Zone 7, which is um, regarded as cool temperate. So that gives you some data straight away that shows there aren't actually many days over 35 in that particular region. So Hmm. really it tells you that um, you should be able to cool this home in summer without necessarily the need for air conditioning pretty well, just with the design and equally you should be able to um, heat it pretty easily for free in winter because it's not it's not freezing so you know in the report that we produced the the daily maximums you know get down around the average was sort of like 18 degrees well that's still pretty comfy you know that's it's um Mm. it's not uh it's not like a an alpine area um, so just knowing that that in itself and then knowing that the minimum temperature, even in June and July, it's sitting around, that's, I'm looking at the table now, Look, it's looking at around 7, 8 degrees, so not really frosty and cold. So straight away that tells us that we're within a pretty comfortable envelope that, is, uh, that passive solar design is, is going to work. Um, and so that meant we could straight away look at, well, all right, well, what breezes exist? you know. And again, the data tells us that 
you know, in January, 3 p.m. when it's hot, there's usually, you know, up 40, 40%, nearly 50% of the time, there is at 3 p.m. a south uh, westerly breeze. Great. Well, we can factor that into the design. So the data gave us a really accurate picture of what the local conditions were like. And then, of course, the builder as well um, needs to be able to turn that into the microclimate, if you like. So, um, yes, it might be a southwesterly breeze, but actually the way the hill is and the, you know, the dunes in front of the house or whatever, that's blocked or, you know, they have to be able to contextualise that locally. Um, and then probably over to you, Blaze, because you would have had discussions at that point around what the client taste was in terms of a, a layout. Yeah, and and the, the layout that they had and we came came up with allowed for the house to be orientated to the north and it had has the living areas all facing the north to make the most of the solar passive gain. Being in the in a the colder climate zone, you're getting the benefit of the sun to warm up those spaces. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But they, you know, they had an interesting thing. They wanted a, a bedroom on the northwest corner. And, you know, that is probably not an ideal spot. In a cooler climate, you'd regard that as prime real estate for um, a, keeping a space warm in winter. Uh, and equally in warmer climates, you'd say, actually, that's a problem space. That's at risk of overheating. So we had to look at what sort of design and construction controls you would put into place. I mean, in terms of the layout and the flow of the plan, I, you know, Blaze and I, we can totally see why that was there. You know, it, it's actually a nice spot to have a bedroom and it created a lovely little alfresco dining space for them on the north as well. So, you know, that's one of those things where a purist would say, no, absolutely, don't put a bedroom there. You need a you know, that needs to be living space. Well, we're a bit more pragmatic and are guided by the, the hopes and dreams and desires of the client and say, no, okay, no, we, we can accommodate that. We can still make this home work with that bedroom there, provided that we do X, Y and Z, which is in the specifications that the builder, um, you know, was eventually asked to, to come up with. So what you're saying, Ash, is that you're not a, a complete um, brick wall to use the term, when it comes to designs on a napkin. And if I came to you and said, look, I would really love this, there's still ways that you can go about implementing that design feature into the final design and still make it green. Look, it's about making informed choices. So, you know, I mean, this home got, um, this is the 8.5 star one, isn't it? Yeah, okay. So arguably we could have taken a different approach. We could have moved that around. We might have delivered a home that the clients didn't really in, enjoy living with in, in the same way. And we might have got to nine stars, you know, for example. Well, you know, you've got to start to evaluate what's that extra half star worth? You know, is it actually worth compromising on the, the flow of the home? And it's interesting, I've recently been in discussion with uh, some guys at the University of New South Wales and Alastair Sproul, who's the head of the photovoltaic and renewable energy school there, spoke at the Green Homes Conference last year. And we've sort of agreed that actually there's a point where um, 
it sort of tops out. You know, eight and a half stars is is a really good rating. It's about as high as you probably need to go because solar is so cheap these days and you can actually get so many energy-efficient devices and you can insulate so cheaply and double glazing, the prices of that are all coming down. So because there are all these other things that you can do to relatively easily get to something like 8.5 stars, although most builders find it hard, it should be said, mm-hmm. um, but because we know how to do that, we can get you to eight and a half stars. So that allows you to get the best of both worlds. So you do get a really high-performing home, but you don't actually have to compromise on all of those livability, design, flow kind of decisions that are also really critical to having a, a, a home that people want to be in. I guess just on that, that's quite a big difference between us and, and the other builders is that most builders will just want to achieve a minimum six stars to get get through and you just see that reflected in, in the data like from the CSIRO that majority of houses in Australia achieve that six star rating but don't really go much beyond that but but yeah at Green Homes we're not just satisfied with just getting the bare minimum but wanting to push, yeah, get, push it to get it to that higher star rating. So I guess Blaze and Ash bit of a, a vote now what is your favorite part of this new home <laughs> i don't know it was pretty nice uh, i reckon blaze was pretty happy when the uh, old 8.5 star rating came back it was uh, yeah. my, my favorite part is probably the result of the process you know it's nice it's uh, blaze and i work well together and I, I i really like the way he thinks and i like I like his approach to design and, um, yeah, it was just satisfying to know that the process as it does has previously and as it will again, it's just satisfying to see the process work and, um, you know, to get that independent third party or fourth party now verification from the NASA certifier, was that was satisfying. It was good. Yeah, I, I um, definitely agree. Also part of what I really enjoyed about um, this project was, was the builder's um, willingness to just, really be on board and, and want to achieve a, a really well-performing house. And and he, he actually he came with me, to me with the idea of why not we use wider timber frames. So he the, the normal timber frame is a 90, 90 mil, but he, he did, wanted to go with a 120, uh, 120 um, mil frame, which allowed for bigger, uh, more insulation. So the wall insulation actually ended up being point. For R, which, which is like double what what you would normally have um, hmm. in most homes, and just I guess imagine it, you know, being just wrapped in with a big large puffer or large warm jacket. Um, that's what this insulation is providing. So I just yeah, I guess the builder's willingness was, was really um, uh, yeah a highlight for me this, for this project. The actually the price difference between, for example. Um, using 100, 120 mil studs compared to 90 mil studs was actually not that different um, in Perth, but it had it had a massive impact on the efficiency of the home and how it performed. Oh, and that's a really good point, Blaze, because in Perth at the moment, not only is that an expensive market to build in usually, but all the builders there want to build in double brick. Like it's mental. It's not the great climate to do that. I mean, double brick 
can work in certain circumstances. But, you know, and I suspect our, um, our, our Perth builder has had some experience overseas and he's seen that things can be done differently. So he's brought that cultural experience with him as well. Uh, and it's quite okay to build with a different sort of system there. Um, and the fact that it's come in affordable for, for what it is, is just fantastic. I mean, to answer your early question too, uh, Louis, I, I think the thing I love about that home, when I look at the floor plan, I think of how lovely that living area is going to be. That would just be so nice. It'll be automatically warm in, in winter. It'll be lovely and cool in summer. I can just see the occupant sitting at that dining table there and looking out onto the alfresco. Like that is going to be, you know, that heart of the home, that, around the kitchen living area is just going to be so lovely for those for those clients and and you know they're going to love that home and with a with the star rating that it's got that hey they've they've had an affordable build so they haven't had to mortgage themselves to the hilt they're going to have really low running costs because 8.5 stars tell you it's going to cost very little to heat and cool and c it's just genuinely going to be a lovely feeling home you know they've got good flow and uh, it will just be automatically full of light and comfortable. You know, you just know that that client is probably going to write a letter in about two years' time and just go, oh, my goodness, we love our home. We can't even explain why we love it so much, but it just works on, on every level. So obviously building a green home is not only meant to improve your life in the immediate short term, but the client will obviously see long-term benefits from their brand new home. Uh, what were some of the features implemented in this home that will allow them to receive those benefits and what benefits are they? Well, one of the principles of green homes is that they last a long time and that you build them not just for you right now, but you build flexibility into the home so that it can adapt as your lifestyle and your needs as a, as a family uh, or individual change over time. And then secondly, that it's durable. And so the happy coincidence of using products that aren't toxic and don't off gas and, and you know, poison the environment and people in it is that um, these products are also more durable. So, in, for example, using actual timber for skirting boards and finishes within the home um, not only is better for the occupants in terms of their health for the entire life of that home, but it also for the durability in the, the life of that home. So if you spill water or, you know, a pipe burst or whatever in 20, 30 years' time, um, it's not going to wreck the floor. Whereas if it's, you know, in certain, you know, we shouldn't throw stones at other builders because it's across the board. You know, people tend to use cheap composite sort of products where they can get away with it. Um, and it's just a shortcut. You know, you'll end up paying for that down the track. Whereas just the quality in material and workmanship that's brought to every single green home will mean that this home will last a long time and will be stable and will provide that shelter and comfort for the families now, the next generation and the next generation. You know, I, I sort of have this theory that you don't actually own a home, you just pay to inherit it and live in it for a certain amount of time. And then you hopefully leave it in a, in a better position for the next family or the next people for whom that home provides their shelter and their space for their love and life to occur. Um, so there's something nice about building a home that is durable uh, and there for the long run, as well as just being lovely and affordable to live in every day. Yeah, so the immediate effect that the client will experience is um, how the house has been, how the house is designed. They'll be able to, in winter, enjoy 
um, the ability for the, the natural, the sun to heat up and grow spaces. There's um, thermal mass in the living rooms in the form of a, um, a concrete polished floor. floor. Um, so that'll, that'll capture um, the heat um, and, and warm up that space. And then in, in, in summer, the client will enjoy um, the ventilation, the natural um, airflow in that, in, that goes through that home to cool it down um, as immediately as they um, move into that home. I'll close with this question. If someone's currently living in a home and they're not quite ready to build their next home, what are your two recommendations, one recommendation each, of a small change that they can make in their current home, cost-effective, small, big, whatever you would recommend, to make it closer to a green home? Well, there's this amazing invention. It's been on the planet for about, oh, I don't know, 200,000 years in its current form. It's a biomedical device or bioengineering device, sorry, called a, a finger, and you can use it to switch stuff off. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, if you want to cut your bills, turn stuff off. You know, we're profligate wasters. We leave lights on in rooms with nobody in it. We leave devices on. We don't think about energy the way that we probably should. So the first thing that anyone should do is is start being conscious of where the energy is flowing in their home and, um, and, you know, just behaviour change. There's also a lot you can do to a home that our grandparents used to do, which we forgot, you know, when energy became cheap, like opening and closing windows, uh, you know, shutting curtains to keep heat in or, or out, you know, there's a lot you can do within your own home if you just notice what's going on. Um, you know, you can go down to, if you've got a room that is a problem overheating in, in summer, in warm areas, then, you know, shade cloth is very, very cheap. You can pack some up, you can make it look nice and just shade your home. It makes a huge difference. I lived in a 1960s home for a while that uh, that was fairly poorly designed and I think I spent a grand total of $400 on shade cloth and I kid you not because I measured it, I dropped the summer temperature of that home by four degrees. Um, you know, so there is a lot of stuff that you can do that's affordable just by observing uh, first, what are the problem areas of the house? And then asking yourself, well, what free energy is available to fix that? Or what, where can I stop the energy to fix that? And then, of course, how can I change my behaviour to save energy? Yeah, I guess for me, one of the things we did when we first moved into our house was um, we changed all the light globes to energy um, efficient LED light. And um, it's a simple thing to do and, and um, it, yeah, it has an impact on that, I guess another thing was putting a weather seal on on our um, external doors, just to yeah try to um, minimise uh, drafts and that sort of thing in in the house. So yeah, I guess there's two two ideas there for you. There was a almost a double double meaning for that question behind that, and you didn't know it. I own a I just bought about two years ago a 1960s home, and it's north facing, and I've lived here for two years now, and I haven't done anything. So thank you both for giving me the inside word on what to do. But look, guys, thanks so much for joining me today, um, running us through the design process of a green home. I'm sure we'll be speaking to you both multiple times on future episodes. Well, thank you for joining us for the second episode of the Green Home Living Podcast. I hope you got something out of it, maybe a little tip to change your home to make it a little bit more green. 
Since recording the podcast with Ash and Blaze, I spoke to Ash privately about my own home and he suggested planting trees just to create a bit of shading. Now, I'm not not suggesting you go and plant trees willy-nilly. However, check out our ebook on the website, www.greenhomesaustralia.com.au or if you're in New Zealand, it's www.greenhomesnewzealand.co.nz and if you're in America, make sure to check out www.ghbuildersusa.com. We're available on all of the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, If you've got any questions, suggestions, if you'd like to look at starting your journey to build your green home or if you'd just like some green tips, make sure to give us a call and or email us. All those details are on the websites. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week.